Thanks for joining us. Coming up tonight on NTD Business, major crypto platform Binance sued by U.S. regulators. They accused the company of secretly coaching Americans on how to get around U.S. rules. Bank stocks recover some ground today after the failed Silicon Valley bank got itself a buyer. Are we out of the woods yet? We ask an economist. Parts of Twitter's source code leaked online. Now the company is trying to find out who did it. It's not just TikTok. Chinese apps are dominating U.S. app stores. Why are they so popular in the U.S.? Apple CEO's first visit to China in years. What do you say? And why does one analyst say he's walking a knife's edge? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. On Wall Street, the Dow and the S&P ended higher today. A deal for Silicon Valley Bank helped boost bank shares. More on that in just a moment. The Dow added 195 points or 0.6 percent. S&P rose 7 points, 0.2 percent. Nasdaq fell 55 points, half a percent. Shares of First Citizens Bank shares soared today after saying that it would buy up the assets of Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank failed earlier this month in the largest bank collapse since 2008. With this deal, customers of Silicon Valley Bank will automatically become customers of First Citizens. They will keep access to their accounts and former Silicon Valley branches will become branches of First Citizens. First Citizens is based in North Carolina. The deal will speed up its expansion in California and double the asset of its parent company as well. One analyst says the deal could make it a major player. They do have a history of building out their business, um, buying distressed assets. So they've come into much smaller situations like this before. And it might be that track record that helped them look attractive for this situation. You know, they've really, they're half the size of what SVB was. So they're stepping up to walk into becoming a very major player. Investors and experts say the, scale, the sale underscores that Silicon Valley Bank's assets do in fact have value and helps to rebuild some faith in the banking sector. But they also said it doesn't by itself provide an immediate all-clear for the banking sector just yet. Shares of U.S. banks, both large and mid-sized, climbed today. First citizens will get some support from the government, specifically the FDIC. All in all, the FDIC estimates the failure of Silicon Valley Bank will cost it $20 billion. The agency says the fund gets its money from a levy on bank members. Top U.S. banking regulators are set to testify in front of Congress tomorrow and Wednesday. We'll keep you updated on that. Over in Europe, Deutsche Bank rose 6% after becoming the focus of concerns at the end of last week. Credit Suisse also edged higher a week after its rescue by UBS. Thanks for coming back, Daniel. Uh, Let's talk about Deutsche Bank. Uh, Its shares rebounded today and the cost of default insurance is falling. My question to you is, are we starting to get out of the woods with this uh, banking turmoil? Hopefully. Uh, However, we cannot trust the bounce, especially uh, because it's a low volume bounce and we need to see whether it's a trend. I think that the messages of the European Central Bank about providing ample liquidity and at the same time uh, the messages of Deutsche Bank itself, because they have done something which I think is the right thing to do, which is to start to uh, purchase back some of the debt instruments that have generated part of this turmoil, the convertible contingent bonds. No, 
So that obviously generates uh, um, some some level of confidence because if the if the bank is is purchasing back those bonds that are uh, perceived as high risk or that could generate an equity uh, slump, obviously that improves. So we we there are small snippets of information that give a little bit more confidence. But we also have to remember that it's not the first bounce in banks in Europe that all fades afterwards uh, if uh, the situation continues to be rocky. Yeah, I want to go to a little deeper in the European side. But first, let me get your thoughts on uh, First, First Citizens Bank uh, purchasing Silicon Valley Bank. What are your thoughts on that? Well, well, that's that is a very, very important factor, no? The, because when uh, investors see that actually there is demand in the market for the assets of a bank, uh, it, people start to see that, for example, well, that all of the uh, assets of the other banks are may have an interesting value, no? And now, particularly that uh, valuations have come down, then people may have a mark-to-market -market of what is happening in in the outside world. It's very different from other occasions, because remember that in other banking crises, one of the problems that investors found was that it was virtually impossible to have a, a clear picture of the value of the assets of a bank, because nobody appeared when uh, and uh, purchased those assets at a reasonable price. And I think that the valuation attached to the Silicon Valley Bank assets is encouraging, at least as a, as a way of understanding the valuation attached to the regional banks in the United States. And what do you think officials should take away from this, this uh, banking turmoil? They should take away that negative rates are the destruction of money and that negative rates have very negative consequences afterwards. Will they? I don't think so. But they should. Uh, they should take away that if the central bank purchases long-dated sovereign bonds and mortgage-backed securities, the message given to the financial system is that the lowest-risk asset is long-dated sovereign bonds and mortgage-backed securities is that Silicon Valley Bank was not accumulating risk in something that they uh, thought had a lot of risk, but the opposite. And that the uh, mismatch between assets and liabilities, between duration of assets and liabilities, is very difficult, virtually impossible to hedge when the return on tangible equity is so low. That is another another thing that they should take into account because the narrative that you have heard and I have heard is that Silicon Valley Bank was stupid because they had these long uh, duration bonds that uh, obviously when deposits fell created uh, a, a massive financial hole. Well, it was virtually impossible for them or for anybody else to hedge the interest rate risk without entering into massive losses. Daniel Lakaya, Chief Economist at Trusted Hedge Fund. Pleasure having you on the show today. Same here. The world's largest crypto exchange sued. U.S. regulators are taking legal action against Binance and its CEO. The Commodity Futures Trading Commission accuses Binance of violating U.S. trading laws. 
How? By offering unregistered crypto derivative products to Americans. The lawsuit accuses Binance of secretly coaching U.S. customers on how to get around trading controls. For example, the company did not make customers verify their identities, and employees allegedly used a messaging app that automatically deletes messages. Binance said in a statement that the lawsuit is unexpected and disappointing. It said it's been working with regulators for over two years to make sure investors in the U.S. are not active on the platform. Regulators want to fine Binance and ban it from registering in the United States. Parts of Twitter's source code leaked online, this according to the social media company. Twitter removed the material from the web on Friday. Twitter's source code powers the platform and its internal tools. They were posted to a code hosting platform called GitHub. It was posted by a user called Free Speech Enthusiast. The code seems to be the only thing posted on that account. The social media giant has filed a court order to track the source of the leak. A bill to get TikTok banned. U.S. lawmakers moving ahead with that. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tweeted the news Sunday. This amid national security concerns about the Chinese-owned video app. Diane, too, reports. There are growing calls in the United States to ban TikTok or to pass bipartisan legislation to give President Joe Biden's administration legal authority to seek a ban. Devices owned by the U.S. government were recently barred from having the app installed. McCarthy said on Twitter, quote, The House will be moving forward with legislation to protect Americans from the technological tentacles of the Chinese Communist Party. TikTok needs to be an American company with American values. On Thursday, House committee lawmakers from both parties grilled TikTok CEO Shouzi Chu for about five hours over concerns involving the app. Asked if the app has spied on Americans at Beijing's request, Chu said no. But his answer sounded less firm regarding the company's disclosure in December that some China-based ByteDance employees had improperly accessed TikTok user data of two journalists and were no longer employed by the company. McCarthy also tweeted on Sunday that, quote, It's very concerning that the CEO of TikTok can't be honest and admit what we already know to be true. China has access to TikTok user data. Chinese apps continue to climb the charts. CapCut, the latest to join the ranks of top apps. NTD Sean Marshall looks into why these apps may be so popular. Timu, TikTok, CapCut, and Xi'an dominate the U.S. app store's top spots. In the past 30 days, they are the four most downloaded apps in the U.S. across Apple's iOS store and the Google Play store. And they are all owned by Chinese companies. TikTok CEO getting grilled in front of Congress was a wake-up call both for Chinese app companies and TikTok users. What if TikTok was banned? I asked that question to content-creating attorney Hassam Amin. What would he do with his over one million TikTok followers? I would hope my um, one million followers on TikTok would uh, spill over to Meta, i.e. Instagram or Facebook. Um, maybe YouTube shorts, but really, I have very limited options. Why are these Chinese apps so popular? The Wall Street Journal suggests that one reason is the fierce competition for users in China's large population gives an advantage in data collection to app companies that perfect their algorithms and push their workers to the max. I asked Amin what attracted him to TikTok. Because their algorithm allows people like myself 
that uh, would otherwise have to pay to play, so, so to speak, to get views or to get likes or comments. It allows people like myself to put out original content and the algorithm works in such a way that it matches you with people that want to see your content. Social media advertising is another reason for the app's popularity. According to Statista, between January and July of 2021, TikTok invested $34.4 million in advertising just on Instagram in the United States. Sean Marshall, NTD News. As TikTok faces a nationwide ban, its competitor Zigazoo steps into the spotlight. It's known as basically a TikTok alternative, except for children as young as three years old. And amid the potential TikTok ban, Zigazoo is rebranding itself by launching a new app targeting a more general audience. Now, is Zigazoo a safe alternative to TikTok, especially for kids? To get a feel, here's one of their ads. Have you checked out the Zigazoo app? Zigazoo is a place where you can interact with other awesome kids, learn fun dances, make cool transitions, funny videos, win awesome prizes, post fun trends, see the awesome places to visit. About whether it's safe, we talked to technology expert Burton Kelso. He keeps up to date on all the latest apps. He talked to the media about Zigazoo when it first came out. He says it is safe. They have adult moderators that look and view the content that is posted up to the app. Many social media channels such as TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, and even someone's link LinkedIn will have a AI bot monitor the content that is uploaded to the platform. So it's very safe in that aspect. Zigazoo has been certified by the Federal Trade Commission. Meanwhile, child advocacy group Common Sense Media says Zigazoo is the example of a safe place for children to be online. But there are a couple of concerns. A key feature of its app is connecting kids with brands. Now, basically inviting businesses to sell to young children as young as three. Meet Zigazoo, the world's largest social media app for kids. Kids use their imagination to create videos and respond to challenges from some of the biggest brands and personalities in the world. Wait until you see what kids can do on Zigazoo. And what are the concerns of letting businesses market to children? We talked to nonprofit Fairplay and advocates for children's well-being in an increasingly commercialized environment. The organization wants kids to be free from manipulation by marketers and big tech. Fair Play campaign director David Monahan says he is worried about Zigazoo. Kids and teens are exposed to manipulative design, which tugs them to be on platforms and to spend many hours on platforms, scrolling through social media, wasting hours and hours. A ton of sensitive data is collected from young people on social media and used to target them with marketing. Um, and through that marketing, young kids, when they're impressionable, are being sold the concept that they have to um, buy the right clothing and they have to support the right brands and that that's going to make them happier. Monahan also questions the authenticity of the app. He says Zigazoo may be set up purely to promote brands to users. Sure, brands have jumped on the bandwagon and said, how can we use this to our benefit? But it seems like the very reason that Zigazoo has been set up is to help market brands and to collect data from, from young people. 
And if you look at their privacy policy, they'll be collecting a ton of sensitive data and they will, it seems to be, uh, they will be using that data to market um, brands and products to young people. Zigazoo was founded in America by Democratic Socialist Zach Rangelstein and his wife, Leah. The two created during the COVID pandemic for their three children. We reached out to them, but didn't hear back before airtime. Taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntt.com. Still to come, Chinese tech titan Jack Ma returns to China as the regime tries to calm private sector fears. In Apple CEO's first visit to China in years, he praised the country's innovation. An analyst tells us that Tim Cook is walking a knife's edge. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Alibaba founder Jack Ma has returned to China. This after spending more than a year overseas. He reappeared in China's Hangzhou city. Hangzhou is home to his company. Jack Ma is one of the country's most outspoken businessmen. He retreated from the limelight after criticizing China's financial regulators in 2020. Some see his criticism as what caused a regulatory crackdown by Beijing on tech entrepreneurs. Chinese authorities had said in recent months they ended the crackdown and now support the tech sector. Hong Kong traded shares in Alibaba rose more than 4% after the South China Morning Post reported his return. First public remarks in China by Apple CEO Tim Cook since the pandemic began. On Saturday, he praised the country for its, quote, rapid innovation and its ties with Apple. This is according to local media reports. Apple's Cook also met with China's commerce minister. The two talked about stabilizing supply chains. Cook was attending the China Development Forum. It's a government-organized event. The forum is seen as an opening-up party after three years of lockdowns. The event is being attended by senior government officials, as well as heads of many firms, including big ones like Pfizer and Mercedes-Benz. With us now is China analyst Anders Kaur. Uh, let me ask you, Anders, Apple CEO Tim Cook praising China's innovation. And on the other hand, Apple moving supply chain out of China. What is he saying here? Is there a contrast? Uh, well, what do you make of all this? Well, Cook is walking the knife edge here. He's, uh, on the one hand, uh, China's becoming an increasingly difficult place to do business. Um, on the other hand, it's got 1.4 billion customers, um, and a lot of most of Apple's production is in China. Uh, Cook has to be very friendly to China to get those 1.4 billion customers to keep um, the factories going through his supplier, Foxconn. On the other hand, um, he is increasingly looking outside of the country to places like Vietnam and uh, India. Um, to diversify Apple's supply chains um, so that Apple's not in such a difficult position. In uh, December, the last quarter, basically, Apple lost revenues, um, decreased, he had decreasing revenues in China for the first time in a long time. Is it significant that apparently Tim Cook met with uh, China's commerce minister? minister. Is, Is that a significant event? 
Well, it's important uh, for Apple. I mean, Apple is going to try to climb that uh, Chinese Communist Party hierarchy as high as they can get and be as friendly as they can um, with these top Politburo members. Um, so it's it, it's a shrug of the shoulders, really. It's it's par for the course for, for a company like Apple. Apple's been treated uh, relatively well by the Chinese Communist Party because they see it as very important uh, to their future in terms of their supposed opening up. Um, so China's state media is covering uh, Tim Cook's visit to China. Um, you know, Tim Cook went to the Beijing Apple store and had a photo op with uh, those folks there. I mean, he he's really trying his hardest. And then last, uh, you know, last time they had an event like this, China Development Forum, which is really uh, China's version of Davos, uh, the Communist Party tried to convince these CEOs to lobby on its behalf in Washington, D.C. So we see what the dynamic is. If you want to do business in China, um, if you want to be treated well by the party, if you want those commerce, if you want that meeting with the commerce secretary uh, or minister, you're going to have to do Beijing's bidding, um, whether that's in China or Washington, D.C. And let's talk about the China Development Forum itself. Xi Jinping commented on it, saying that China is opening up to the world. What does that mean, really? What, what does China want? Well, China wants to be the middle kingdom, really. I mean, it's an ancient strategy of China um, to be the center of all things. And so they want to be the world's factory. They want to be uh, they want to develop the world's international law. They want to expand their control and power globally. They want to replace the U.S. system. Um, so the development forum is part of that. They want to aggregate technology. They want to collect technology. Um, they want to all of the factories, all of the investment that the world has put into China over over the last decades. Um, has empowered China. So, of course, China wants more of that. They want more money. They want more investment. They want more technology. Um, and they're going to use that to empower their military, uh, empower their technological growth in the future. And all of that power is a danger to the democratic countries around the world. All right, thank you, Anders Kaur. Thanks for your comments today. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Don. And taking a break, still to come, Taylor Swift fans taking Ticketmaster to court today. What are they claiming? We hear from one of them. The first sign of spring, visitors enjoying the sight of cherry blossoms in Washington, D.C. We take you there. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back again. Taylor Swift fans have been demonstrating in Los Angeles, where about 300 Swifties are taking Ticketmaster to court Monday. The lawsuit alleges the company engaged in fraud, price-fixing, and antitrust violations. It's after many fans forced to buy tickets from scalpers, and they had to pay very high prices. The plaintiffs argue Ticketmaster has a monopoly, and that allows it to charge high fees and take advantage of fans. 
Ticketmaster merged with Live Nation in 2010 and owns 70% of the market. Some fans want regulators to undo the merger. It's not fair, what we had to go through to get our tickets. I still haven't been able to get tickets. I'm 25 years old. I've loved Taylor for 15 years, and I, sp- I saved up for months and months for the Ares tour. We knew it was going to happen. I had $500 saved, and that should have been enough to buy me floor seats for what Taylor wanted to sell her tickets for. But unfortunately, like, it, Live Nation stopped that, and so it, it's wrong. We need to end the merger. Ticketmaster says it's sorry for what happened with the Swift concert tickets. It's pledging to improve future sales. Some members of Congress appear to be keeping an eye on the Swifties as well, even calling in the Live Nation president for a hearing. And the first sign of spring, cherry blossoms. Thousands of people gathered in Washington, D.C. on Sunday. It was to take in the sights of the city's famed cherry blossoms. The pale pink and white blossoms frame the pathways surrounding the city's iconic monuments. Locals and tourists were seen taking photographs and walking along the basin. The beloved trees were given as a friendship gift from Japan in 1912. The annual Cherry Blossom Festival commemorates the enduring gift of the nearly 3,000 trees and celebrates the relationship the two countries share. And that's all today from NTD Business. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.